Thank you for listening to this audio message from Christ Fellowship Leesville. We exist to make disciples for the glory of Jesus. We pray God uses this message to help you grow in your walk with Christ. To learn more about Christ Fellowship, please visit us online at ChristFellowshipNC.org. If you would turn in your copy of God's Word to Hebrews chapter 12, and as you're turning there, we'll be dismissing our children to our children's class. So um, if you are participating in that class this morning, you can make your way to the room there at the back, and our volunteer leaders will be there to greet you and to spend time with you and the truth of God's Word this morning uh, there. Uh, As I mentioned for everyone else, we are now moving into Hebrews chapter 12 as we continue through the book of Hebrews, where we've been for quite some time now. We'll just be in verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews 12 this morning. So let me read for us Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 and then we will pause and take a moment to pray and to ask for the Lord's help this morning. So Hebrews 12 beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for the finished work of Christ that keeps us. We're thankful for his life, death, and resurrection, the perfect life that stands in our place on judgment day through faith in Christ, his death on the cross where our sins have been fully atoned for and paid for and for the power of his resurrection so that one day we also will join him in that glorious resurrection. Father, we are only here this morning because of Christ and what he has done. And we confess to you this morning that we don't even deserve the good gift of being here together this morning under the truth of your word. And so, Father, we pray as we do every single week for you to do what you alone can do, and that is that you would be at work in us this morning by the power of the Spirit that you have sent to dwell in us through the truth of your word to change us and conform us more and more to the likeness of Christ. Father, I pray that this passage would challenge us as we seek to live obedient lives to you for the glory of your name, as we seek to run this race that you have set before us. Father, I know that all of us come into this room with various struggles and difficulties in our lives. There are those who are just tired and weary, and uh, life has just worn them out, and they're, they're tired of running, and Others who are going through really hard times and feel like giving up. And uh, Father, running this race is difficult, and you know that, and that's why you've given us the truth of your word. And so, Father, I pray that these verses this morning, that this passage in its context as it sits here in Hebrews would work powerfully within every person in this room this morning to help us to not throw away our confidence and to endure, kept by you to the very end. 
And so, Father, I ask for your help that you would allow me to speak only what is true of you and your word, that no one would be led astray this morning, but that you would guide us into all truth for the good of your people and the glory of your name. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are here in Hebrews 12 after spending six weeks in Hebrews chapter 11. And it's been a privilege to go through chapter 11, one of uh, the most well-known chapters in the Bible, often referred to as the Hall of Faith, recounting the glorious stories of the faith of the Old Testament saints. And each week we reminded ourselves uh, uh, that these examples were being placed before us, that, that the author, that God put these examples before us in Hebrews chapter 11, because as he told us at the end of chapter 10, before we got into chapter 11, that we needed to not throw away our confidence and that we had need of, that we have need of endurance. These stories of faith from Hebrews 11 are meant to help us endure in our faith. But now that we've come to the end of observing the faith of God's people and his faithfulness to them and looking at their lives, it's now time to look at our lives and apply it to ourselves. And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is doing here at the beginning of chapter 12. That's why he begins that chapter that we just read, uh, read from with the word, Therefore, it means what he is about to say is built on all that he has been saying in chapter 11. It's built on all of these saints that we've been looking at and their faithful endurance throughout their lives. And as we dive into this passage, I want you to notice something with me that is not obvious at first glance in our English translations. There, there are a lot of things in here that could be viewed as commands, but what I want you to see is that there is only one command in verses 1 and 2, and everything else around it is describing how we are to carry out that command. And so that command is that we are to run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's the command. Every other phrase, every other word in this passage is telling us how to do that. How do we run the race that is set before us with endurance? So before we work our way through the passage, I want to be sure we understand this command. Let's seek to understand what we're being commanded to do as we are commanded to run this race with endurance that is set before us. And then we're going to look at how we are to do it as we look at all the phrases and words that surround it in verses 1 and 2. Now, what is somewhat obvious here when the author of Hebrews says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, he's using a sports analogy. Sports have been big for a long time. I know we think sports are big in our society. They were big in Roman society as well. In the Greeks, sports have always been a big deal. So sports were very familiar even in these days of the early church and prior to it. And so he's reaching to the sports analogy and saying that we have this race that we need to run with endurance. So the first and most basic thing I want to be sure that we see here this morning is that we're being called to be active in our pursuit of Christ. Right? Nobody sits around and twiddles their thumbs when you've entered a race. 
right? You're moving, you're doing something, you're active, you're going after something. We are, in fact, to be running, but not just running in any way. We are called to run with what? A sprint. Endurance. In other words, this race is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a race that requires endurance over the long haul. You can't sprint through the Christian life and expect to be done with it, right? You know, we often have these things, if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've ever been on a retreat or if you've ever been to a camp for a while, and, and people have what's sometimes referred to as a, a mountaintop experience, right? Or this kind of high place that they experience. And those can be good. I'm not demeaning those at all. God uses those in our lives, but, but we're kind of separated from the real world in those moments. And we run that kind of sprint for a moment, for a few days, for a weekend, for a week, and we run hard, and it's tempting to think, well, you're on this high, and you ran hard for a little while, but then, but then you come home, and that out-of-the-ordinary mountaintop sprint of faith comes to a grinding halt as you face the real world, and your alarm goes off the next morning at 6.30 a.m., and you have to get up and get ready and go to class or go to work, you have to wash the dishes, you have to cook meals, you have to pay the bills, you have to have difficult conversations with friends and family, you, you have to go grocery shopping and all the other day-to-day -day challenges of life to say nothing of navigating a world that Jesus told us would be opposed to our faith, a world that, in fact, wants to lead you away from Jesus every single day. So, as the author told us at the end of chapter 10, we have need of endurance because the race we are running is an endurance race. It is what we would think of as a marathon. Furthermore, look there in the middle of uh, verse 1. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The race that is set before us. That phrase set before us was a technical term that was used to talk about the, the uh, master of the games that would determine the path the runners would take to get from point A to point B, from the starting line to the finish line. The master of the games would determine the race, where you had to go to run the race. They would map out the route that the runners were allowed to take to get them from point A to point B. In other words, those running don't get to define the boundaries or the paths of the race for themselves. You don't get to say, well, we start here at the starting line, and it doesn't matter how you get to point B, just get there. No, there's, there's a path set before you that, you're, that you are supposed to run. We don't get to be like Rosie Ruiz. Now, you may be asking, who in the world is Rosie? Well, it's a very interesting story. In the 1980 Boston Marathon... A marathon being a 26.2-mile race, if you're not familiar with that. It was an unbelievable day for Rosie. She was a little-known marathon runner, but she had qualified for the Boston Marathon. But nobody really knew of her. But that day, everybody learned about Rosie. 
Because Rosie finished the Boston Marathon and broke the Boston Marathon record by three minutes, which is a staggering amount of time to break a record by. Not only did she break the Boston Marathon record by three minutes, she ran the third fastest time in the history of any female marathon runner ever that day. And what was even more astounding is that she crossed the finish line. She was barely even sweating. She wasn't even tired. People were amazed at how Rosie broke the record that day. It was as if she won with ease. But then some strange things started occurring. They started looking into it. Nobody had ever heard of this woman. And about a week later, they discovered the reason Rosie broke the records with little to no effort it's because she decided to run her own path from point A to point B. Run is even a bit of an exaggeration because what she did is she snuck her way out of the pack, hopped on the subway, got off near the finish line, hid in the crowd, jumped back out and ran and finished the race ahead of everybody. Victoriously breaking through the tape at the end of the race. And then come to find out the whole reason she qualified for the Boston Marathon is because she did the exact same thing in the New York Marathon to get there in the first place. Rosie forged her own path, ran her own way. She cheated. And of course, ultimately, she was disqualified because she didn't run the course that was set before her. And she certainly didn't run it with endurance. See, this is what the author is getting at with this command that we must run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's no shortcuts. We have to endure. And we have to run the path that God has for us. You and I don't get to define the path of our lives. That rests in God's hands. And sometimes our race may involve suffering. Sometimes it may involve ease. But at every step of the way, it involves endurance. Whatever the race the Lord places before us, we are responsible to run that race with faithful endurance. Now, how do we do that? How do we run the race that is set before us with faithful endurance? Well, there are easy recall ways this passage calls us to run. And for the sake of easy recall, I'm going to simplify each of them for us. So how do we run the race? We run by, number one, looking around, number two, looking inward, and number three, looking up. Looking around, looking inward, looking up. We must look around at the faithful saints who have gone before us. We must look inward to see what may be hindering our walk with Christ, and we must rid ourselves of it. And number three, we must look up. We must look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So let's begin with the first way we need to run this race. We do so by, by looking around. Look there again with me at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. 
So right there, the second word of that verse in the English Standard Version that I'm reading from, therefore, since, or because. This is the very ground or foundation of what we are to stand on as we run this race. And it is because we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And now, without question, that cloud of witnesses that verse 1 is referring to is talking about all the saints that we've been looking at in chapter 11. That is the cloud of witnesses, these faithful men and women who faithfully endure throughout their lives and who, who God showed himself faithful to, this great mass of people. Some named, some are not named, but they are this great cloud that surrounds us. Now, the important question to ask about this verse is, what, what are they witnessing Right? We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. What is it they are witnessing? Well, there are two basic views that people take about what these uh, saints are witnessing. The first is that this, the, the verse 1 contains the imagery of a crowd in something like a Roman Colosseum, right? This, this great cloud of people. In fact, the word cloud of witnesses was often used to refer to those attending a sporting event. And so it's like they're, they're in this Roman Colosseum, these people, and they're, and they're witnessing us. They're watching us as we run. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses as we run the race, and they're, they're looking on as we, as we live our lives. So that's, that's one view. But the word cloud of witnesses can also just mean cloud of people, gathering of people, can just mean a large group of gathered people. And so the second view would be, it's not that they're witnessing our lives, but that they're bearing witness to the faithfulness of God. They're, they're bearing witness to the need that we have to endure in faith, to trust our God and Father. They are speaking to us and they're testifying to us, but they're doing so by the example of their faithful lives. In fact, I think earlier in chapter 11, it even hints at that when it talks about Abel's faith. And chapter 11, verse 4 says that Abel, though he is dead, still speaks. What well, does it mean that you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to hear Abel talking to you, right? No, what does it mean? It means that by the faithfulness of his life, he still speaks to you today by the example that he set as he went before us. I, I lean strongly toward this second option. It's not about this gathering of people watching us. The point of chapter 11 wasn't to describe the crowd that's watching us. No, it was to describe the people we need to be watching. Right? It's about who we need to be looking at. It's their examples that we're supposed to be fixing our eyes on. It's these faithful men and women that we should be looking to and whose examples we should be following. You see, if we interpret verse 1 to be, it's this great crowd of people gathered around us looking at us, and I, I think we're getting the gaze of the eyes in the wrong direction. Because the whole point of chapter 11 is to say, look to these men and women. They made it. They trusted God. God was faithful to them. You need to look to them, and you need to follow their example. So that's what I mean when I say that we need to look around. We need to see these examples who have gone before us and follow in their footsteps. In fact, I think that's what it means when it says that we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. It means there is an uncountable number of faithful examples that are worthy of following from the Old Testament scriptures and even from uh, the history of God's people. Remember last week what the author of Hebrews said in 
uh, chapter 11, verse 32, as he's coming to the end of talking about specific people, and he just kind of feels like he's running out of time, and he says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of, and then he lists all these other people and all these other, he doesn't have time to talk about all the faithful examples of men and women throughout the history of God's people. We're surrounded by this great, enormous cloud of people. We can look around and see example after example of men and women who faithfully endured to the end. But here, here's the thing. Here's how this really just really applies to our life. You have to allow yourself to be surrounded. This is what I, I mean by that. It's, it's going to take work from you to surround yourself with this cloud of witnesses so that you can see the faithful example of their lives. So how do you do that? One way you do that is by reading the Old Testament scriptures. Right? It does no good to have this amorphous blob of cloud of witnesses if you know nothing about them. If you're going to be surrounded by their example, then you need to know them. You need to know who they are, what their names were, and what God accomplished in them and through them by their faithfulness. And the way we have access to know those things is through the Old Testament scriptures. It's by reading it, by making it a habit and pattern of our lives to surround ourselves with this great cloud of witnesses that exist in God's word. But not only that, I mean, even as we saw last week, there are examples given to us at the end of chapter 10 that, that, that came even after the time the Old Testament was finished. Church history, the history of God's people and church history is filled with heroes of faith that endure to the end. And we can surround ourselves with their examples. I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I would encourage you at least once a year, if not more than that, to grab a good, solid Christian biography about a faithful believer in church history and read about his or her life. Read what God accomplished through them, how he helped them to endure through trials, how he sustained them through difficult days. God gives us those as gifts to help us endure as we surround ourselves with this cloud of witnesses that we can look to as examples of enduring faith. So that's the first way we run. We must look around at the faithful saints who have gone before us. But not only do we need to look around, we must also look inward. Look again with me at verse 1. So therefore, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Statement 2, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So if we're going to run with endurance, then God says to us the way we need to do that is to be sure that we lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. But even look there at the word also. Let us also. It means that's what the cloud of witnesses did. They laid aside every weight. They, they, they cast off the sin that would keep them from running after Jesus. They did it, and so we can follow them. They did it. We can do it too. We need to follow their example. We must first lay aside every weight. Now, as you get into the original language and kind of the way these words were commonly used, it 
It makes me chuckle a little bit, actually, the way these words were originally used. Let us lay aside every weight. The word weight literally often was used to refer to athletes who needed to lose weight to gain an advantage. But not only that, when it said they needed to lay aside things, that word lay aside referred to these athletes who, unfortunately, in this day, would take off all their clothes before they ran a race. Like they literally laid aside everything to run the race, okay? Now, this is an example where we need to be careful with biblical application, right? This doesn't mean we need to run the race with endurance by taking our clothes off and taking off, right? That's not the point. But what is the point? The point is we need to rid ourselves of everything, everything that keeps us from running after Jesus. Everything. Let us lay aside every weight. I mean, the word is right there, every weight that keeps us from running with endurance. Which means we must look inwardly at our lives and evaluate what may be weighing us down and keeping us from running after Jesus. And those things may not in and of themselves be sinful. And I think that's clear in the passage because statement one is lay aside every weight. Statement two is lay aside sin which clings so closely. Now, those things weighing us down may not be sinful in and of themselves, but they can become sinful, right, if they keep you from running after Jesus. I think that's the author's point in separating these things out. I mean, the reality is there, is there is sin in our lives that does, in fact, cling closely to us. And what that means is sin's hard to get rid of. It's sin's not willing to give up that battle easily. And we're called to lay it aside. It always wants to entangle our lives and make it hard to find victory and freedom as we run with endurance this race that is set before us. Nevertheless, we are, we are called to lay it aside. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time next week in verses 3 and following talking about what it means to fight against sin in our lives. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on that this morning. But what I do want to spend time on is talking about laying aside these weights that keep us from running with endurance, the race that is set before us. Because the reality is, it is those weights that are often hard to identify in our lives. I mean, I think if we're being honest, most often in the Christian life, we start with the wrong questions. Most often as we're seeking to know how do we follow Christ faithfully, we ask the question, what am I allowed to do in my life? What am I allowed to do? Am I allowed to watch this particular movie? Can I have this particular drink? Can I purchase this expensive car? Can I say these words or go to this place or support these events? All these questions and concerns are asking about what someone could be doing, but none of those questions are going to help you figure out what is weighing you down and hindering your race toward Jesus. That evaluation process demands a different kind of question. To discover what might be weighing you down, what you need to lay aside, the question instead becomes, is this helping me run after Jesus? Is this thing helping me run after Jesus? And if it's not helping you run toward Jesus, there's a good chance it's keeping you from running toward Jesus. Right? Think about the athlete getting ready to start a, start a race. Right? Let's just run with the analogy, the illustration given here. And all of a sudden, this athlete starts asking some strange questions like, 
Am I allowed to wear a fur coat to run this race? Can I do that? Am I allowed to wear these cool, uncomfortable military boots to run this marathon? Can I do that? Is that okay if I do that? Can I wear this weighted vest for this race? And the people standing around would look at them really confused and they would say, I mean, it's not illegal. It's not wrong. You can wear a fur coat and uncomfortable, heavy military boots and a weighted vest if you want to. Right? They're not illegal. But if a different question is asked, and that runner said, is that hot, heavy fur coat and these uncomfortable boots and this weighted vest going to help me run with endurance? The answer without question is no. It's going to keep you from finishing the race. You're not going to make it to the end if you run with those things on. So you see, the issue isn't always about what we're allowed to do. It's about what we ought to be spending our time doing, period. It means we need to look inward and evaluate what we may need to lay aside. And of course, the first thing we have to examine is, are there any clear sins in my life that I need to put to death? And again, I said, we'll talk about that a lot next week. But that's, right, that is of utmost importance. Put sin to death. Fight against sin in your life. But the second thing you need to look for is what weights may be hindering your walk with Christ that may not appear to be sinful at first glance. Do your hobbies or entertainment choices help you run toward Jesus? Do your social media habits help you run toward Jesus? Does your weekly schedule or your family's weekly schedule help you run toward Jesus? Or, or, or are there things you need to drop from your schedule? Now listen, I know the temptation is to leave here this morning and say, Pastor Jonathan thinks all we're allowed to do is sit around and read our Bibles and pray and go to church, and that's all we can do. All right, so, so let me bring clarity to what I'm saying, because that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we need to take the time to ask ourselves the hard questions to be introspective, to look inward. And sometimes, yes, it very well may mean giving something up altogether because it's keeping you from running after Jesus. Because it's just too much of a weight to keep you from running well. But other times, it's not about giving the thing up. It's about reorienting how you think about what you're doing. Right? So, if your hobby is woodworking or crocheting or playing golf, right? It's easy. The, the simple, simplistic, unhelpful answer is, well, playing golf doesn't help you run toward Jesus, so that's sinful and you need to quit playing golf, right? You need to quit woodworking. You need to quit crocheting and read your Bible instead, right? The easy answer is to run towards some kind of like monkish view of isolationism life as we run. That's, that's not what I'm talking about this morning. Instead, what I'm saying is, just to say it again, reorienting how you think about what you're doing. Instead of giving them up, the answer instead is to turn those moments into worship, right? Be thankful to God for the gift of creativity, 
right? To be able to build something with your hands if you're a woodworker or if you're crocheting, to be able to create something out of your own hands. That's, that's a gift of God. That's you exhibiting the image of God by creating things, right? That's, that's a moment of worship. Uh, golf, woodworking, crocheting, sports, hobbies, all of these things can be opportunities to relax our mind from the busyness of life that distracts us from Jesus, right? That's a good gift, those things can help us run toward Jesus, right? Golf and sports, are you, are you using those to develop relationships with other people? Praise be to God. That's an absolutely perfect thing to do in your hobbies of playing sports. By, by God's grace, I've been able to play basketball at some community centers over the past few months. I've got to meet some great guys that don't know Jesus, and I'm getting to know them. If you play golf, you can invite your neighbor to go play but it's also okay to go play by yourself. And you can take those moments to unwind, to free your mind so you can run hard after Jesus. And it may seem pietistic, but you can even be really intentional. And if you, before you tee off on each hole, you can have a list of the members of this church and pray for one of the members before you tee off, right? What a glorious way to organize your prayer life as you play golf for pleasure. So that's what I mean when I'm saying it doesn't mean we have to throw everything we're doing away, but make everything an opportunity to run after Jesus and to worship him. Reorient your lives around the goal of running this race with endurance. And if you can't do that with that hobby or that activity, then yes, it's time to unload the weight. It's time to lay aside the weight and run after Jesus because you don't want to be hindered from enduring to the end. Now, let me give just a quick aside here. This race is not intended to be individualistic, right? That's the temptation when we read this verse, just to think about us as individuals. No, we are called to run this race together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, earlier, the author of Hebrews said to us, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Right? We need to run this thing together. We need to be sure we're side by side, encouraging one another to, to keep running. We see this same concept in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. It says that we are to bear one another's burdens. Which means if we're unloading our lives from the weight that's keeping us from running, guess what? That gives us the opportunity and ability to do to pick up our brother or sister's burden and put it on ourselves. To carry their load for a while so they can keep running with us. All right, it's not about running ahead of your brother or sister in Christ. It's about running together with your brother and sister in Christ so that we can endure together, stirring up one another together to love and to good works by the grace of God. So if we're going to run with endurance, we have to look around at the great cloud of witnesses to find their example. We have to look inward and evaluate our own lives to see what sin we need to fight against to get rid of, to look inward at our own lives to see what's weighing us down and keeping us from pursuing Christ and running with endurance. But then, of course, finally, we also must look up to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. This is, this is ultimately 
how we run with endurance. Yes, we need to look at the examples of the men and women who have gone before us. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 tells us to do. We ought to do that. We need to look inward for self-evaluation, but the ultimate thing we must do after doing those things is to look up to Jesus. We look to him. We look to him, first of all, because he is, it says, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I love this phrase, right? The word founder means the one who has gone before us, who has graciously established faith in our hearts. In fact, many translations render that word author, right? The writer, the creator, the one who has given us faith. He is the, the founder, the author, the creator of our faith and, and the perfecter of our faith. I mean, we see this truth that faith is graciously given to us authored by Christ in us. We see this throughout the New Testament scriptures. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It has been granted to you that you should believe in him. Or Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He, he has granted you to believe. He has begun a good work in you. And then, of course, Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's a gift from him. It has been granted to you. He has begun this good work in you. He is the author, the founder of your faith. But not only that, what, what else does verse 2 say? He is the, not only the founder, but he's also the perfecter of your faith. Right? That's what we just read in Philippians 1, 6, what I just quoted. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to what? Completion. He will perfect it. He will start it and he will finish it. Therefore, when you're, when you're struggling with your faith and in your walk, when you're struggling as you're running this race, just remember that, that that little tiny grain of mustard seed faith that you have left, and you feel like that's all you're clinging to, was graciously given to you by our Savior. And if he has given it to you, he has said he will sustain it and keep it and perfect it. He will do it. He has promised to do it. He has said he will keep you faithful to the end. And so you can plead with him in those moments and ask him to do what he has already promised to do, to be at work perfecting your faith. So we look to Jesus because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. We look to Jesus because he, for the joy set before him, endured the cross and despised the shame. For the joy that was set before him. You see, Jesus is our ultimate example of faith. He looked to the reward. He looked to the joy that was set before him. And because of that joy, he was willing to endure the cross and to despise its shame in your place and in my place. So what was the joy that was set before Jesus? The joy that was set before Jesus was accomplishing the will of his Father and bringing glory to him and redeeming a people for the glory of God. That was the joy set before Jesus. We see that in many places. John 17 is one example, this glorious prayer of Jesus that we get to read the details of. 
John 17, verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given me. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You see, the joy of Christ revealed in John 17 is that he safely delivers all those the Father has given him into eternity. That's what brings Jesus joy. That's what brings him happiness is to glorify God the Father by redeeming a people for himself. And the path to that joy went through suffering. Right? Jesus humbled himself, took on flesh, dwelt among us. And in his dwelling among us, he lived a righteous, spotless, sinless life. And through faith in Christ, that righteous life becomes ours. It is imputed to us. We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus on the judgment day. And not only that, but he willingly laid down his life. No one took his life from him, but he willingly laid it down in our place. And in that moment of his death, as he hung on the cross, he took God's wrath. He took the Father's wrath on himself in our place so that we would not have to face the judgment or the condemnation, the eternal condemnation that we deserve. See, he was was willing to endure the cross and to despise its shame because enduring the cross meant redeeming his people. And it was that joy that was set before him that sustained him and helped him to endure. And of course, he victoriously on the third day, rose from the grave, demonstrating that he was victorious over sin and death, demonstrating that the Father had accepted his perfect sacrifice and that he had successfully, for the glory of his name, redeemed a people. And therefore, it says to us, he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we look to Jesus because he's the one who gives us our faith. He perfects our faith. We look to Jesus because he, for the joy set before him, endured the cross and despised its shame. We look to Jesus because he is right now, right now, this very moment, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And what that, <clears throat> and what that reminds you and I of is Romans eight thirty four. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is, who indeed is interceding for us. Right now, this very moment, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, at the right hand of the throne, interceding for you and interceding for me. He's praying what he prayed for Peter. I pray that your faith will not fail. He will finish what he has started. He is the founder and the author of our faith and the perfecter of our faith. Therefore, we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus as we run with endurance because he gave us our faith. He will perfect our faith. He 
died in our place. He's the supreme example of enduring faithfully through suffering as we look to the reward because it's precisely what he did in our place. And we look to Jesus because he is right now interceding for us and ready to hear all who come to him in need. So listen, brothers and sisters, when you find yourselves weary and tired of running the race, when you feel like you simply just can't go on, when you're ready to give out, when the endurance is overwhelming to you, do these three things. Look around at the saints who have gone before you. They are examples of what it means to endure faithfully to the end. And God sustained them and he kept them. And as you watch him sustain them and keep them, know that he is ready and willing to do the same for you. Look inward. There might be sin in your life that is wearing you out and you're just destroying your life with your sin. Look inward. There, there are likely things that are weighing you down and keeping you from running toward Jesus that you just need to get rid of, that you just need to lay aside in your life. And there are other things that you need to lay aside by means of reorienting how you think about why you do what you do. And then finally, when you're exhausted and worn out and ready to give in, look to Jesus. Plead to Jesus. He gave you your faith. He'll sustain your faith. He'll perfect your faith. And it's a long process, brothers and sisters. We're called to run the race with what? Endurance. So it doesn't mean you're going to wake up tomorrow and your faith is going to be perfect or next week or the next month. It's endurance that we've been called to run with. But know that Jesus can sympathize because he's been there and he endured faithfully to the point of death for the joy that was set before him. And because of the redeeming work of Christ, we can walk in his steps, knowing that he is right now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, breathing life into your faith so that you can keep going. Let's pray together. And then we will turn our gaze and attention to the Lord's table this morning. Father, we are thankful for the truth of your word. We are thankful for how you have redeemed us and given us faith and awakened us to the glories of Christ. None of us deserve it, but yet you have poured out mercy on us. You have poured out grace on us. And so, Father, it is so easy to, to be worn out. We know these Hebrew believers were exhausted. They were tired of the persecution and the suffering and the hardship that they were enduring, and they were ready to give in. But here, these words were meant to encourage them, and they are meant to encourage us. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Help us to stay on the path you have laid out for us and to endure faithfully. And Father, help us to do it by looking around at the faithful men and women that you have sustained for thousands of years before us. And you were faithful to them and you'll be faithful to us. Father, I pray that you would help us by your grace to look inwardly and to be able to see with clarity what we need to put to death in our lives, what we need to get rid of in our lives that's keeping us from running hard after you. 
Father, I pray just for honest moments of self-reflection in the week to come in the life of our church. And Father, ultimately, I pray that you would help us to fix our gaze on Jesus. That as we look to him, we will become more and more like him. Jesus, we're thankful that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. That you're interceding for us, that you are sustaining us and keeping us. You died in our place. You will not let us go. And so, Father, by your grace, fix our eyes on the glories of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Father, what a privilege it is to be able to do that very thing this morning, immediately, as we observe the Lord's table and reflect on the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.